Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Yes. yes. I always feel like I'm scolding someone. Yeah. <laughs> you do Did sound you like a your school marm. Yeah. <laughs> a school marm. It's, it's in the veins. Mm-hmm. Did you bring um, your I'm, chalkboard today? No. Yeah. What do you call this? Handwriting? <laughs> Oh my God! You're so scary. Cursive. <laughs> what is this crap? Ah, <laughs> oh, the dog ate my homework too. So I killed um, it, skinned it, and ate it. Oh, okay, all right. I'm Kenyon. <laughs> I'm Lucy. I'm starving. <laughs> I'm a man. I'm Amanda. <laughs> I'm so hungry, even a dog sounds good right now. <laughs> Callie's looking at me like, what? You, Mom. You yeah, were girl, eating, you look delicious. You were eating four seconds before we started recording. <laughs> a salad. <laughs> okay, well, that was your choice, Can you Missy. even call that eating? That was your mistake. <laughs> my doctor said I needed something green in my diet or I'm going to get gout. So I'm just doing the best green I can. Green Jolly Ranchers. Yeah, M&M's oh. come in green. Oh, you're right. <laughs> well, shit, I just assumed kale, but now I'm going back. Right? <laughs> All right. Well, actually, candy uh, fits with the topic of this week's episode, which is a very, very special fan pick. Uh, brought to you by Jill Gerzewski. Hmm. Mike Wazowski. Mike Wazowski. Um, Jill has selected the topic of Halloween crimes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, spooky. Yes. So um, spooky. is doubly fitting because this episode comes out on Halloween. Yep. What, what? Hell and yeah. Halloween is Jill's birthday. Happy How birthday, lucky Jill. is that? I wish I know, my birthday Halloween was on Halloween. would be such a good birthday to have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jill, you honorary spooky little bitch. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, So let's get some of our candied, liquid candy. Mama's liquid candy. Adult candy. (laughs) This really is like adult candy this week, too. Take it away. What is our wine crime pairing for Halloween crimes? We are pairing this episode with Wink Wine Club's Eplevin Gravenstein Cider. Whoa. Gravenstein? Uh, it's a type of apple. Oh. It's a hard apple cider. Oh, that is so perfect for Halloween. Apple yeah. picking. Thanks, Wink. And just a reminder, Wink is an amazing online wine club that sends wine and sometimes other exciting seasonal libations to your door. 
So head to their website. You can go to trywink.com forward slash gals. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C.com forward slash gals to get hooked up with their amazing inventory of wine. And you can kind of shop how you want to. You can like become a member and have four bottles of wine curated and sent to you every month. You can curate your own box every month and put more than four bottles in there. If you put four or more bottles in there, they take care of the shipping. So that's pretty mm-hmm. badass. Or if you just need a little once off something, you're perusing their inventory on a casual Tuesday <laughs> and you're like, mm-hmm. dang, that Gravenstein cider looks dope. I'm just going to order mm-hmm. that right now. You can just order a la carte. They do everything. I, I do love me a hard cider, I oh. must say. There's a couple different versions of this one on their site right now, but this one looked... It, it's this type of apple. And like, wink, really put the grave and Gravenstein with this spooky mm. cider. So we had to feature it. Again, that's trywink.com forward slash gals for $20 off your first box get after it. It's the best. So there's really nothing spooky about this other than the fact that it's eerily delicious. (laughs) (laughs) This craft cider was fermented in a tank in in a similar manner to brewing beer. So if you've ever been to like a craft brewery and you can see the tanks at work, uh, they're using a very similar, if not almost identical process to brew this uh, fermented cider beverage as they would for beer. Um, except with different ingredients, obviously. And then this one is actually bottle conditioned afterward. So that means a dose of priming sugar is used in the bottle to spark a second fermentation in the bottle itself. And that adds natural carbonation and mellows out some of the flavors as a little bit of sweetness. I love bottle fermented, like bottle finished alcoholic mm. beverages. Cause it's anything carbonated. Yeah. It's really good. Nothing like a sparkling hard cider. I freaking love it. Mm. And uh, so yeah, that creates the bubbles in the cider and the result is a sparkly and effervescent dry cider with notes of honeysuckle, white flower and candied lemon. Nice. Oh my God. It's fitting. It's like, uh, I know fitting in so many ways. Notes of pumpkin spice. Just kidding. There aren't. Um, at only 8%, this is the lowest ABV beverage that maybe we've ever featured. I can't remember. Better be worth it. I know. So Edward 40 hands, two bottles of Gravenstein. (laughs) Well, my recommendation was, uh, doing a shot of fireball with it (gasps) or even pouring a shot of fireball in it to make kind of like a spooky version of a Johnny jump up. Yes. Oh Yeah. Yeah. If only I had any fireball. But like for everyone else out there, you've got time to actually plan ahead, unlike (laughs) I did. There's a bar in Johannesburg that thinks it invented fireball, like the concept of fireball. And it's like, bless your hearts. Yeah, it definitely did. This like three years ago. Like this is not, you did not do this. Like a thousand years ago. 3,000 years ago. (laughs) Um, So yeah, this, uh, this bottle is not really a pop. It's more of a crack, but you do pop a cap off the top like a beer bottle cap. And you can use your nice pop wine key off of our online store, Wine and Crime Podcast at BigCartel.com to get this open because all wine keys, once you flare them out, they have a bottle cap feature built in, which is awesome. Sure do. So are we ready to baby bottle pop slash crack? Yes. Pop a cap in that cider. Got my wine key right here. Let's do this. Ready? Yep. yep. She's a hefty bottle. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, nice crack. Nice crack pop. Nice crop. Nice crop. Always be cropping. Yeah, this bottle is really just like pretty. Yeah, I love it. This is going to be so good on my sore throat today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cheers. Cheers, my loves. All right. Lucy, what is our background and maybe psych? For Halloween crimes. I can't believe we're three years in and we haven't done this one yet. Right? What the hell? Yeah. It's great. Big thanks to birthday person Jill for picking this out. I mean, shocker, most of this is going to be history. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, all right. Halloween, a.k.a. Halloween, Hallow's Evening, mm-hmm. All Halloween, All Hallow's Eve, or All Saints Eve, is observed on October 31st on the eve of the Western Christian Feast of All Hallows Day. But of course, that's not how Halloween started. Christians. Mm-hmm. We'll get to the Christians. Uh, <laughs> why do the Christians ruin and also make everything? <sighs> well, they make everything about themselves, which we'll get mm-hmm. to. That. They usurped it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, All Hallows Day is the beginning of a three-day observance of All Hallow Tide, which is this time to remember all saints, known and unknown, martyrs, and the faithful departed. So it's like a catch-all day. It's a death mm-hmm. day. But again, okay. that's like the, yeah, that's the Christian way of observing it. And then also traditionally, kind of ev- everyone who observes a similar holiday, it's about like death and decay. <laughs> All right. Let's start observing All Hallowtide. Yeah. I mean, it's Halloween. I know, but like the whole three we days. We already do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a th- I can't I'm come ready. into work. It's All Hallowtide. A three-day three feast of just gluttonous foods and alcohol. I'm into it. Candy yep. corn. I'd be dead by day two. <laughs> yeah. Oh not God. for those <clears throat> with the betas. Mm-mm. <laughs> So back in the good old days of about 2,500 years ago in Celtic, Ireland, it's Celtic, right? Celtic is the sports team. Correct. Why do they do this? Notre Dame Celtics. (laughs) Yeah. Sports. It's annoying. Sports ruin everything. Uh, Folks celebrated Samhain, which is actually pronounced Sowin, but like... the languages. Samhain. Samhain. Gaelic is amazing. It is really intense. It's got to be one of the craziest languages. But gorgeous when it's being spoken by Beautiful. a natu- oh, so native yeah. speaker. <laughs> yeah. I've said this before. One of my favorite names of all time is the name Sersha, but it's spelled so wildly Ugh. different than it sounds that so I could never use it. Yeah. yeah. I have friends mm-hmm. whose baby is named Sersha, and it's like, that's so gorgeous, and have fun explaining that to everyone for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> and Siobhan, like in mm-hmm. Succession. <gasps> yeah. That's Shiv. a wild one. I love it. Okay. So Sam, we're just going to call it Sam Hain because we're going to butcher it and completely um, westernize this name. But yeah, it's Salwin in Gaelic. And during this time, they marked or they marked this time as the dividing point between the lighter half of the year, so summer, and the darker half, so winter. It was basically their New Year's Eve because they started their year during the dark time. 
It was like their mm -hmm. their customary belief that that everything starts with darkness and then comes into the light. Nice. I like that. And Samhain, or so Samhain, translates to summer's end. At this time, the separation between this world and the other world was at its thinnest, which allowed spirits, ghosts, and fairies to pass through. People mm -hmm. performed certain rituals to honor their long-gone ancestors while warding off harmful spirits. For example, they would dress up in scary costumes and masks, or false faces, oh. to disguise, to disguise <laughs> themselves as bad spirits so they would be passed over. Mm-hmm. So oh, it's like the, that makes sense. Yeah, the origins mm -hmm. of like Halloween costumes. Mm what is the origins of sexy fill in the blank costumes? <laughs> <laughs> Patriarchy. Sexy <Yeah>. dentist. Sexy <laughs> lumberjack. Sexy Bob Ross. Oh my God, yeah. I want to do sexy Bob Ross in a sexy painting. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite one is, um, I know this is like going to be very trendy in the U.S. this year, but sexy whistleblower. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I know. Yeah. Too many sexies. Mm -hmm. um, I will note here that there is archaeological evidence that Samhain was celebrated well before the Celts arrived in Ireland. There are a couple of hills in the Boyne Valley of Ireland that are associated with huge annual fire festivals. And no, not that kind of fire festival. Damn it. No Successful jungle. ones that date back to like 5,000 years ago. <clears throat> and the Celts didn't arrive in Ireland until like 2,500 years ago. So mm. some scientists believe that the original festival contained a bunch of fertility rites at this site, plus... Uh, no doubt some harvest rituals, because obviously this time of year, harvest, all that. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of evolved into what we now know more solidly as Samhain. But it it could have and probably did originate with, like, the Druids. Very cool. <clears throat> mm -hmm. middle, middle school Kenyan is eating this up right now. Yeah, middle school <laughs> yeah. Kenyan is mm -hmm. consulting her handwritten spell book. <laughs> I had a lot of, like, Llewellyn calendars and mm -hmm. books. You yeah. studied, like, how to write in runes? Yep, sure did. You and Scott learned how to had the rune alphabet. You'd write secret notes, and I never learned, so I was jealous. In Futhark. I thought you did learn. Mm-mm. Oh. Well. I asked Scott to teach to me. You. I asked Scott to teach me once, and you told him not to teach me so that I would be left out. <laughs> that sounds, sounds right. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> also, keep in mind, listeners at home, this was like three years ago. This was not when we were children. I just didn't get involved in it at all. This was more like 20 years ago, but yes. Yeah, this, this was like, this was pre-Google. Otherwise, I just could have fucking Google. I didn't even have a computer. I did not have a computer at this time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's an excerpt from a book called, oh God, I'm going to butcher this. Tlachka. Tlachka. Sure. There we go. Why not? <laughs> Nailed it. Celtic Fire Festival by author John Gilroy. Quote, 
I hope you guys think this is as funny as I do. Okay. Oh, God. Don't set us up for that. (laughs) Now, if we don't, we're going to feel terrible. It's not funny until the very end. Okay. Okay. The perceptible and apparent decline in the strength of the sun at this time of year was a source of anxiety for early man, and the lighting of the winter fires here symbolized man's attempt to assist the sun on its journey across the skies. Fire is the earthly counterpart of the sun and is a powerful and appropriate symbol to express man's helplessness in the face of the overwhelming sense of the decay of nature as the winter sets in. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not like, it. Wait. <laughs> the decay of nature as the winter sets in. Sets and in. for folks listening at home, before uh, recording, we were discussing how we all need sad lamps. Yeah. <laughs> Matching gals' sad lamps. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> yes. So continuing with the quote, Now the sun has descended into the realm of the underworld. The forces of the underworld were in the ascendancy. The lord of the underworld, unfettered and alive, just kidding, just <laughs> unfettered from the control of the sun, now walked the earth And with him traveled all those creatures from the abode of the dead. Ghosts, Mm. fairies, and a host of other nondescript creatures went with him. The lord of the dead in Celtic mythology can be identified as Dawn. (laughs) (laughs) Like D-O-N. Amazing. (laughs) It's D-O-N-N, but it just made me think of like, oh, hey, me and Don, we're just going to go mosey up north to the surface world, see if we got any luck finding some shiners. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know Dan, Lord of the Dead, Dan. Yeah, you know. know. He's friends He's friends with the ghosts and the fairies and a bunch mm-hmm. of other nondescript creatures. You yep. know, Dan. Dan and Jensen. Hank. <laughs> yeah, He's Don also friends with Hank from the, the Ace Hardware. <laughs> <laughs> and the we ghosts used to go and the undead. Together. <laughs> you know, Dan. His wife Dan. made us that pie once. That yeah. one pie. Un- unfettered Dan. Oh, Don, yeah, he still has a bunch of my Tupperware. Yeah, I was literally just going to say, you know, Don, the one who's never returned our Tupperware. (laughs) I was just about to say that. (laughs) You know, Don. Shame on Don. Good old Don. Um, There were some specific monsters associated with Samhain in addition to the fairies, or the fairies were called SIDS. I guess. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is a quote from history.com because I just liked the way that they phrased it. You Uh, also love history.com. I know, right? (laughs) The stuff that's not about, like, fucking duck hunters or whatever. Duck dynasty. Oh, yeah. (sighs) Other mythology included a shape-shifting creature called a puka that receives harvest offerings from the field. Okay, this it shapeshifts into a necklace around an yeah. overly tan blonde teenage boy's <laughs> neck yeah. with yeah. spiked hair. It can only its powers can only be yielded by the chosen tre. Tre? Tre. And only upon the offering of a sugar-free Red Bull. Uh, we're going to ride the bull, man. <laughs> and some Jägermeister. Okay. This one's my favorite one. The Lady Gwyn is a headless woman dressed in white who chases night wanderers and is accompanied by a black pig. Okay, I want this to be my costume. costume is sorted. (laughs) I have a black dog. I'll just put a little pig snout on on Callie. And And I already call my cat Ghostface Pig. I just call her Pig. Let's all be the Lady Gwyn. Yes. Yeah. 
I'm here for it. Um, also, the Dullahan sometimes appeared as impish creatures, sometimes headless men on horses who carried their heads. So, like, what's that thing? The Sleepy Hollow guy? The headless horseman. Headless horseman. Yeah, there we yeah. go. <laughs> the horseman who was headless. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The man uh, without a head on the horse. <laughs> riding flame-eyed horses, their appearance was a death omen to anyone who encountered him. So, like, these mytho- mythological characters have existed for a long-ass time. Oh, yeah. they yeah. date way back. <clears throat> yeah. Some other Puka ch- shells date all the way back to 1999. Jaeger mm-hmm. bombs. <laughs> Historic. Don't make me barf up all this cider. Ye old Jaeger bombs. Ew. Some other traditions included the druid priests making a huge communal bonfire out of the bones of slaughtered livestock. And then each individual home would extinguish its fire, like the fire that it has going in the home. And they would make a new one out of this communal bonfire, which I thought was nice. Ooh, Ooh that's like kind of that. cool. That's a sweet idea. Yeah. I don't know if I like a bone fire. Like animal bones, but I like the rest of the community portion of it. I Mm -hmm. like creating community. It couldn't be just (laughs) animal bones or else it wouldn't burn, right? That's what I'm saying. That's odd. Yeah, well, it was creepy, so I added it in. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would also cook a huge feast for the spirits, which was called a dumb supper. (laughs) D-U-M-B. I love it. Um, I don't know why. I'm going to start making my partner dumb supper every night. I feel, uh, be careful. Eat your dumb supper. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is fine. You can yell at your partner to eat a dumb supper all you want. But I think in this context, it maybe is like an old ableist term for quiet or silent. But they're not quiet or silent. Because my next sentence... Um, each home would set out special places at the table and light candles for visiting spirits. Um, of course, the spirits weren't hungry, so the people would eat the food for them. But they would mm-hmm. just, like, fully expect the spirits to be in the room with them. So they'd, like, catch them up on the latest gossip. Oh. And the kids would, like, play games with them. Yes. It was, like, a very friendly, oh, hey, hey, Madge, haven't seen you in 60 years. Here's who. Yeah. Here's Who's sick now? <laughs> it's the annual Christmas letter from Great Aunt Marge, but just in a dinner. Exactly. Yeah. With ghosts. If you ever see my ghost, it's because I want the hot goss. Yeah, you do. You want the tea. Put a cup yeah. of tea out for ghostly Kenyon <clears throat> mm-hmm. and she yep. shall appear. Absolutely. Um, after dinner, games and merriment commenced. Lots of the games revolved around fortune-telling, like using nuts and apples and mirrors and other divination materials to predict the future. And this was mostly in terms of death and marriage, because honestly, there was like nothing else fucking going on in these people's lives. Say, they didn't have <laughs> right. Real Housewives or Bravo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who wins the voice? <laughs> <laughs> Beginning in the 16th century, folks in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and the Isle of Man began mumming and guising, which was essentially a creepier costumed version of caroling in exchange for food. So they'd like, they'd dress up in these creepy outfits and then they'd go door to door, like reciting. Well, they'd like recite chants and like (laughs) don't make me sing. It wasn't singing. It was like reading 
from their Ooh. like materials about Ooh. Samhain. I'm not really sure. What would, you, what would you do if they were just like beatboxing? Mm. <laughs> Spoken word. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, it's so creepy. I love it. Kenyan moonlights as a beatboxer, if you can't tell. Okay. <laughs> Crushed it. Um, pranks were incorporated as were carving turnips, potatoes, and beets into lanterns with grotesque faces, which if you have the internet, you've probably seen these before. But I put a photo on uh, the drive, yes. which will be on the blog, of an example was- of a carved turnip. <gasps> Wait. I have seen this before. I forgot about it. <laughs> it's more oh. grotesque than, like, Anything you remember. In the it's, world? It's my favorite. Well, I love it so much. And, it's like, awful. beats bleed. Yeah. yeah. I can't get, like, a proper pumpkin here, so I... Am doing this. No. Uh, yes. When Kenyon and I were teaching English in China, I I had this whole Halloween unit, and they didn't mm-hmm. have pumpkins there, so we used watermelon. And also, oh I realized that there would there was no way to get like special carving tools or anything like that, so I just brought a fistful of knives to my class. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> There were, we were unencumbered with any sort of administrative rules. None. Yeah, none had, whatsoever. There were no rules. It was basically like, just don't mention boycotting the Olympics or capitalism and you're good to go. <laughs> or Tiananmen yeah. Square. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. My classroom didn't have windows, so I felt like I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. Mm-hmm. And during my Halloween unit, I also showed uh, Rob Zombie's version of Halloween, which I had never watched before I showed it to my first class. Oh, I love that <laughs> And movie. I wasn't really paying attention until like 10 minutes in when there was like a female masturbation scene. Oh my God, I didn't know that. And my students, they were college students, but my students weren't... I'll just say they weren't prepared for such imagery. Mature. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So some of them asked if they could leave. Teacher (gasps) teacher Lucy, may we leave? We don't like this movie. (laughs) I was like, it's a tough shit. This is your class. No, you sit down and watch. (laughs) (laughs) I made them watch it. (laughs) And then carve this bleeding beat while you're at it. (laughs) It was a watermelon. So scary. You're the scariest teacher ever. (laughs) Teacher Lucy, no. Teacher Lucy, no. (laughs) I'll put photos. I'll put photos on the blog. I have many photos of your crying students. (laughs) Of the watermelon. (laughs) The watermelon lanterns. Fiasco. Oh my god. Oh, anyway, so those were the turnips. By the early 20th century, these shenanigans had crossed over to England, then in the 19th century, well, then in the 19th century, and in also in the 19th century, Irish and Scottish immigrants brought such traditions over to the United States and Canada, where, thank God, we have access to pumpkins and don't need to rely on fucking turnips. Yeah. I would argue it's a downgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I love the turnips. It's so, so <clears throat> creepy. It's so fucking creepy. 
So concurrently, Christians elsewhere in the world had their own rituals that were pretty similar. They had customs of poor people going door to door collecting soul cakes in exchange for praying for the dead. In the Middle Ages, churches that were too poor to display actual relics of saints let their parishioners dress up as saints instead. That is so sad and pathetic. And they, too, carved horrifying turnip lanterns. (laughs) No. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Although I don't think that the Christian versions had faces on them. Whereas the Irish, like Celtic versions, did because they doubled as a, a lantern to like see their way around at night and also to scare away those bad spirits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, twofer, twofer, <laughs> a turnip twofer. Mm-hmm. Um, they Christians also employed lots of candles. They had parties in graveyards. They dressed up, etc. And of course, that I am into since. Like we said, since Christians can't not make anything about themselves, as Christianity began spreading in previously pagan communities, church leaders tried to reframe Samhain as a Christian holiday by moving All Hallows Day, which we mentioned earlier, from mid-May to weird November 1st. Hmm. Mm. This move was pretty transparent on the Pope's part, plus the pagan rituals were way more fun, so Halloween, as it had been evolving on its own for thousands of years, persisted. Uh, In Latin America, they celebrate Dios de los Muertos on and around November 5th. In England, they celebrate Guy Fawkes Day with a shitload of bonfires and creepy effigies. And in the U.S. and Canada, we go trick-or-treating, carve jack-o'-lanterns, and ask ourselves why the fuck we bought a five-pound bag of candy corn. Because it's Mm -hmm. so good. Candy corn? I love candy corn. I know I'm one of a rare few, but I love it. Oh, man. I I don't, like, viscerally hate it, but I also don't need it to exist. I just, I think the flavor and the texture is just Mm, I love it when it just Mm -hmm. melts all chalky in your mouth. To each their own. So just a few fun facts to round this out. Got a fun fact about jack-o'-lanterns. Irish legend holds that there was an actual man named Jack who was cursed to spend all of time roaming the earth with only a burning coal inside a carved-out turnip to light (laughs) his way as his punishment for trying to trick the devil. Ooh, the devil. The devil. The devil. There's also something called truck or treating. Oh, sorry, trunk or treating, which I uh, have to think exists primarily in the United States, which is basically yeah. cars parked in a church or a school parking lot, and kids With walk children around in the trunk. Kids get, walk around the cars, like the trunks of strange cars, like mm-hmm. gathering candy instead of walking around neighborhoods. Nope, I hate that. No, nope. I really nope. hate that. I nope. got. I got the sense that, and this makes sense if you live in a in a very rural neighborhood. Oh. It gives kids the chance to go trick-or-treating. How, I can see that. However, in the context that I where I read it's this, creepy. it sounded like it was like, oh, no, there are so many shards of glass in the candy bars in this neighborhood. Like, uh, So they'll go to like a, tr- a church parking lot where kids can safely trick-or-treat. Or where predators can safely lure children into the trunks of their cars. Exactly. It's it's probably just the church members who could be predators, but they're at least known to the other church members. It also might be a way to, like, kind of isolate the the, uh, less 
Christian pure notions of Halloween from like witches and magic and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I do have a photo on the drive of what's it called? Harvest cards and pops. Hmm. They all oh. have scri- it's called scripture candy. Yeah. Okay. I bet it tastes like shit. Yeah. Shine for Jesus, says this jack-o'-lantern. Okay. So it's I mean, not- that is the scariest jack-o'-lantern I've ever seen, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> In fairness, <laughs> yes. It's not my cup of tea, but when we think back to how Christians completely st- ruin everything, stole the holiday in the first place, they continue to seal it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, just didn't like that. Hall- Halloween, we were so, so lucky and privileged for how we were able to do Halloween. Like, I lived in a small town in the heart of, like, the suburbs. On the lake. On a lake. It was so easy to go door-to-door trick-or-treating with, like, a pillowcase of can Like, oh, it was so idyllic. Yeah, yep, super idyllic. Same. Do you remember that one year when Kelly dressed up as a headless version of herself so she had like a huge torso above her actual yeah. head and, and it looked like her head legs. Was, <laughs> yeah, her head was cradled in an arm my sister like she was, was terrified of her <laughs> yeah. r- really good costume except she was like extremely top heavy and not used to walking <laughs> in it and she fell like no fewer than eight times that night including once face first into a puddle <laughs> because she didn't she couldn't use her own arms to like oh, yeah. brace uh, yeah. herself. One year my mom made me a costume of a porta potty out of an old, half of an old refrigerator <laughs> box and my arms stuck out like straight out the front from two holes. <laughs> and then there were also two holes on the side so I could like kind of choose where my arms were and she like covered it in like cockroaches and fake flies and stuff. Oh my but it God. was really hard to navigate because I could only see, I had no peripheral vision. <laughs> I, I just wore a box. And so yeah, I fell a lot in that costume. It was awesome. She made matching ones for me and Sarah Bo, which if you're listening, oh, hi Sarah Bo. A shout out. <laughs> Um, I have two photos of my own Halloween costumes on the drive slash blog. The first one, I was Liza Minnelli for Halloween one year. I'm just yeah, clutching like a Bush bottle of Cheney pills. Yeah, I like 04 sticker in the background. Uh, yes. that, that was my parents' response to the quote that I hand wrote on that huge piece of paper above it. <laughs> Let me see if I can read it. It's kind of blurry because it's a literal photograph. It would indeed be ironic if, in the name of national defense, we would sanction the subversion of one of those liberties which makes the defense of the nation worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So I put that right above their Bush Cheney sticker on the fridge. Nice. nice. We have differing uh, political ideologies. But anyway, the second mm-hmm. picture on there is of Kenyon and me with my sister and our neighbors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm wearing a fur coat yeah. with a huge blonde wig and a scarf, like, barely tied around it. We have matching cat-eye sunglasses. Kenyon took like any opportunity wigs. to incorporate a fake cigarette into a costume. Girl loves her fake uh-huh. cigarette. I have I so many. So I'm. Like, I also... Oh, okay. It's not blood. It's your neighbor is Cruella DeVille, and her nails are, like, really long and red, and I thought she was holding a bloody fake puppy. 
Yeah, that would have been too much. And I was like, no, no. No, I think she was just what Cruella. Is, is Madeline just a little sad vampire? Yes. <laughs> She's <laughs> your so cute. Is so tiny in this. She's so <laughs> uncreative. Okay. Oh, it's so cute. I have one more fun fact that the two of you especially will appreciate. According to a 2018 report by the National Retail Federation, 30 million Americans will spend around $480 million on Halloween costumes for their pets. Oh, yes. duh. Yeah, this is I not have, a shock. I have a lumberjack costume for Josie, but I have not managed to get it on her body yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> what are your costumes, Amanda? Um, Callie has had like a pumpkin costume. She has Christmas sweaters. She's had bumblebee ears. I, I mean, I've had like buckets of clothes for that dog. Yeah. <laughs> I too have a lot of cat costumes, but the most popular costumes for pets are the pumpkin. I have a little shirt for Ghostface. It's a jack-o'-lantern followed by the hot dog. Oh, don't that's have a the hot one. dog. And the bumblebee came in third place. Nice. So a classic. Very, very cute. Yeah, I gotta get my Halloween shit out. I don't have it out yet. I need yeah, to get a lion costume for Josie. Oh, she doesn't even need it. She just looks like a I lion. Know. I know. That's why it would I be really it. funny. Aw. All right. So that's my my segment, little history on Halloween. Way to love get it. us pumped up. Yeah, I'm ready now. All right. All right, let's hear a word from our sponsor first. These days, everyone knows that your mental health is just as important as your physical health. We say it on the show all the time. It's mm-hmm. so real. Mm-hmm. But scheduling in-person therapy sessions can be inconvenient, not to mention expensive, not to mention stress and anxiety inducing. Yeah. Even if you can't afford weekly therapy, the days spent between sessions can leave you feeling stranded. Hi, been there. Thankfully, there is Talkspace, the online talk therapy platform that is with you 24-7. Oh, truth. I do have my therapist in my pocket 24-7. Thanks to Talkspace. Also, hi, Emily. She is a listener. God bless her. <laughs> um, and this is just one of those essential things like food, water, shelter, good mental health is essential. I think about tackling my mental health in a similar way as tackling my diabetes. Like I didn't choose to have generalized anxiety disorder, but it is my responsibility to manage it. And Talkspace just makes it that much easier for me to be able to do that. And traditional in-person therapy is only affordable and convenient for some, and Talkspace believes in therapy for all. So that's why Talkspace gives you immediate access to a licensed therapist at any time, wherever you are. I was matched within 24 hours with somebody who is specifically trained in the areas that I needed. So that Mm -hmm. was hugely helpful for me. Like the moment I decided I wanted to get back into therapy, I was ready to go. Um, And that's also why a week of their unlimited messaging therapy costs less than a single traditional therapy session. Seriously, you can get so much out of this service. Talkspace also knows that therapy is not one size fits all and it shouldn't be. That's why they match you with one of their 5,000 plus licensed therapists based on your preferences and your needs. So whether it's anxiety, hi, depression, hi, or other mental baggage that's weighing you down, hi, 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 quadruple check. 
Uh, Talkspace can help. Their therapists are trained for every need, including depression, anxiety, LGBT-specific issues, and many more. There's like substance use counselors on this program. There are group therapy sessions on this program. They have it all. And unlike traditional therapy, Talkspace is entirely online from your phone or computer or both. And here's how it works. You first create an account and speak to a matching agent that will help identify your therapy needs. This is crucial. It's basically like your initial assessment. Next, you choose a plan that suits your budget, and both messaging and video-based plans are available depending on the level of support that you want or need. And finally, Talkspace will pair you with the best-suited therapist based on your needs. You can start right away and message them anytime. Seriously, it's that easy. Mm -hmm. And if your first therapist doesn't work for you, you can always... Find Switch a new one. Up. I love yes. that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. So join over 1 million people who already feel happier at Talkspace.com. You'll get 24-7 access from your phone or computer to a licensed therapist that fits your needs, and you'll only pay a fraction of the price of traditional therapy. Don't forget to use that promo code GALS, that's G-A-L-S, for $100 off your first month. Uh, can you even believe? Oh, I love it. That's make it or break it. That's a, a lot. A thousand percent. So oh. do- download the app or go to Talkspace.com and use that promo code GALS. Treat your brain. Treat it. So knowing about your own body, knowing about your own health is integral to just being healthy, especially when you're, well, really at any stage in your life. But for me personally, I'm in my early-ish, mid-30s. Oof. You know, there's lots of lots of... Lots of changes happening to my body. <laughs> it's a scary time. It's a scary time. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's all—it's not always easy to get those health answers that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone to different doctors. I've tried different diets. I've delved into, you know, the uh, essential oils stuff, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it—I di- I really wasn't getting the concrete answers that I was looking for until I tried Everly Well, and. I, I, it just makes me feel so much better just having having those answers. Yeah. Ever, Everly Well offers more than 30 at-home lab tests from food sen- sensitivities to thyroid to STD and heart health tests. I did that thyroid test, you know, just to see, just to see what's going on. I learned that I had an iron deficiency, so taking care of that. Um, again, these are just things that you, sometimes you just want to graph. You yeah. just want solid oh, yeah. numbers, you want a graph, and you can trust Everly Well because your results are reviewed by a board-certified physician. Mm-hmm. Then they are sent directly to you digitally within just days. You can even share them with your healthcare provider. Collecting the sample is so easy. You do it at home on your own time, mm-hmm. and once you send it back, it's processed in a certified lab. There's nothing about this that's like sketchy. It's essentially going to a specialist yeah. without leaving your home, which you know we love. Hello, at-home STD tests. Get at me. Are you preaching to me directly, Everlywell? Because I believe so. (laughs) Sexual wellness, all types of wellness, very important to have a good grip on. Mm -hmm. And also the Everlywell digital platform helps break down exactly what your results mean for you. Because again, you get these numbers, you get these graphs, it's great to have, but like... What does it mean? Yeah. <laughs> you can also set up a free discussion with a healthcare professional directly through the Everly Well platform. It's so easy. It's so quick. You get so many answers and their resources are great. Mm-hmm. So to start learning more about your health like we did, check out Everly Well at Home Lab Tests today. 
For 15% off an Everlywell at-home lab test, visit everlywell.com slash gals and enter the code gals. That's everlywell.com slash gals, code gals for 15% off your test. Everlywell at-home lab tests, your answers, your way. Treat yo health. Treat it. Sun Valley, California, 1957. It was the 60s. It was just the 60s. It was almost the 60s. (laughs) A typical idyllic slash cookie cutter suburban community. It was just after 11 p.m. on Halloween night. 35-year-old Peter Fabiano, who is a spitting image of Eddie Munster, go to the drive. Yes. I see it. Look at that little widow's peak. The top, the second photo. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, wow. Dead ringer. You're right. Yeah. It's like not just the widow's peak. It's the eyebrows. It's the mouth. It's the nose. It's the whole thing. It's the pallor and then the like darkness of the hair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then his wife, Betty, who is the living embodiment of a vintage vacuum cleaner commercial. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> are, upst- are, are in their home, in their bedroom, getting ready for bed. But as soon as they turn out the lights, there's a ring at their doorbell. Uh-oh. They are puzzled, but assume it must be some late-night trick-or-treaters. They thought they were done with this bullshit. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> Peter goes downstairs to answer the door, and Betty overhears him say, it's a little late for this, isn't it, as the, as the door opens. And then someone dressed in, quote, blue jeans, a khaki jacket, red gloves, and donning a domino mask, the kind Robin wears to fight crime alongside Batman. Mm, okay. Like over the eyes with eye holes? Yeah. <gasps> mm-hmm. lifted a gun that was stashed inside of a brown paper bag and shot the unsuspecting Peter in the chest. No. Oh, my God. The assailant then ran off to a waiting car and sped away. It's because they only had candy corn. Mm, fair mm. enough. Where the fuck are my mini Snickers? <laughs> yeah. Kit Cats. Oh, my God. I want candy so <laughs> bad. You. Keep going. Reese's Pieces. Betty rushed downstairs to find her husband collapsed in the entryway of their home. Judy, Betty's 15-year-old daughter slash Peter's stepdaughter, phoned the police. So, like, this just, it's fucking chaos. It's mayhem. Peter was brought to the hospital, but he died on the way from the massive blood loss. The bullet, which was from a thirty-eight caliber revolver, um, had lodged in his chest just below his heart. Oh, so it was just one shot, but it was so close range Aww. and to the point that it got the job done. The distraught Betty was sedated for several days following the seamless, seemingly senseless attack. Gotta love the 50s. <laughs> I want to be sedated for several days. Oh, my God. Me too. <laughs> You're hysterical. Just put me under. That sounds so good. Yeah, that sounds lovely. She was only able to be questioned by police when she awoke and had recovered somewhat from the shock. Betty then told police that the voice she thought she'd overheard could be, quote, that of a man impersonating a woman. Okay. Or perhaps the reverse. Mm. Mm, perhaps. That's my, that's my own note. 
Investigate. That was not Betty speaking, just in case you were curious. That was not a clip of Betty's voice. All the revolts. It was so spot on that we assumed. Right. Uh, thank you for the clarification. Yeah. Yeah, but she so did use that quote while selling vacuum cleaners, I'm sure. All mm-hmm. the revolts. All the revolts. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Picks up dust and dandy. She's just blasted on gin the whole time. <laughs> I'd buy like a thousand vacuums from that woman. I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Jo- that George Orwell, George Orwell or Orville, the drunk Orville. guy. Oh, or, French uh, Orson Welles. Yeah, Orson Welles. Orson Welles. <laughs> <laughs> we got there. Okay. Orville Redenbacher, the drunk Orville. popcorn man. <laughs> the drunk, the drunk <laughs> popcorn guy. Yeah, no, he invented drunk airplanes. <laughs> got it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the, the okay. Champagne. <laughs> Frozen Investi- peas. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Investigators who up until that point had assumed that the murder could have been some kind of gang hit or assassination. Um, so they were looking into Peter's criminal history, but trying to be like, okay, like, was he like mixed up in something, you know, like what could this have been? Uh, but the only thing in his criminal history was a charge for bookmaking activities, like being a bookie, mm. back in the 1940s. <laughs> he meant making books. Yeah. <laughs> he was a He illegally published volumes. <laughs> he was a bookmaking hobbyist. <laughs> he really loved paper. <laughs> um, no, he, yeah, b- bookie activities, but it was a long time ago when he was like a young man. And yeah, so it wouldn't it have been that. Probably not related. So investigators were very surprised to hear what Betty told them next. She had a suspicion of who her husband's killer might be. A woman named Joan Rabel. Rivers. What? Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers. Who was not donning a mask. It was just her face. Stop. It's the fashion police. And she killed him. Her eyelashes were poking out of the holes. (laughs) I love Joan Rivers. I'm getting my lashes done tomorrow. Let's not tease. Okay. So, (laughs) uh, Peter Fabiano and Betty had, this is like some context. Peter Fabiano and Betty had met about 10 years prior He was an ex-Marine turned truck driver, God bless the vitamins, and Betty was a, quote, beautiful divorcee with two children from her previous marriage. Okay. The pair had married in 1950, and six years later, they moved to Los Angeles, where Peter embarked on a new career running beauty salons. God bless him. The Lord's work. (laughs) I was Mm -hmm. just going to say And one of the ladies that he hired to work in his new shops was 40-year-old Joan Rabel. Joan was a freelance photographer who had also spent a lot of time in Hawaii. This never becomes relevant, but is mentioned in every article. (laughs) (laughs) Joan was a good employee and soon became an even better family friend. She grew very close to Betty, 
very, very close oh, to Betty. Oh, yeah. Scissor me timbers. Let's hear about mm-hmm. it. Homoerotic undertones. I am ready. Mm. <laughs> mm. In fact, when Betty and Peter's marriage started to get rocky, Betty moved out and in with Joan. Yes, 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 Newspapers of the period were reticent to print the exact details of the two women's relationship, but it is confirmed that they were indeed hashtag Taylor Swift lovers. I don't get it. Good for them. Her new album is called Lover. Oh. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I was like, because they quickly became lovers. It was swift. Like, I'm confused. Yeah. (laughs) I like that better. (laughs) Obviously, this was hella scandalous in the mid-1950s. Slash, it was the 60s. And um, Betty was under tremendous pressure to reconcile with her husband, which she eventually did. So she they were, like, separated temporarily, but she did go back to him. Peter made her promise, though, to cut off all contact with Joan, whom I'm assuming he'd also fired from the hair salon at this point for, like, fucking his wife. Um, Betty wasn't even supposed to utter Joan's name in her husband's presence. Oh, my God. Get over it. Jesus. So, Betty is back home. Joan has been completely iced out, and she is pissed. But she's not about to suffer this indignity alone. Joan soon turned to her old friend and former lover, Goldine Pizer, for comfort and support. Uh-oh. Right into the arms of Goldine. Classic. Goldine was a 42-year-old lab assistant at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, She was born in Rockford, Illinois, to German immigrant parents. Also never becomes relevant. Also always mentioned. (laughs) Um, Hawaiian (laughs) German immigrant parents. (laughs) I love when you beef up your cases with shit like this. Guten Tag, aloha. Um, (laughs) And in 1944 had married a man named Herbert. But the marriage was brief because Herbert couldn't find Goldine's clitoris to save his life. <laughs> this it's is speculation. Not that hard. I'll show you. <laughs> Just pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this is obviously speculation, but also definitely true. <laughs> so, so soon after her divorce, Gold, quote, Goldine was known to date women, which was obviously very taboo at the time. At some point, Goldine moved out to Los Angeles and met Joan. It was a whirlwind romance, but also ill-fated. Somehow, Goldine was manipulated by Joan into murdering Peter Fabiano, whom she had never met. Jesus. For the heinous crime of him depriving Joan of her lover, Betty. And how long after was this? This was pretty... I don't know exactly when uh, Betty had gone back to Peter, but it was pretty soon after. Maximum a few months. So it wasn't like 10 years or anything. No, 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 no. Okay. No. Um, but like the fucking balls of someone yeah. to get their new girlfriend to murder their ex's right? husband. I can't even manipulate people into the simple act of continuing to date me, let alone <laughs> get them to murder somebody for me. God. <laughs> 
hashtag relationship goals. Am I right? (laughs) You need to get better at manipulating your partners. I do. (laughs) I'm not a good enough, like, gaslighter and manipulator. I got to step my game up. But I can find the clitoris. (laughs) Yours, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, my own. At least one. Um, (laughs) Okay, this is a quote from Goldeen about Joan. Quote, she told me that Mr. Fabiano was a vile, evil man, a man who destroyed everything around him. She told me that he mistreated his wife and that he was dealing narcotics. (laughs) The devil's lettuce. (laughs) Yeah, there's no evidence to support that, except for his hairline. Um, (laughs) So so later, Goldine would tell a court-appointed psychiatrist, quote, I had no motive, personally. Whatever motive I had was to please Joan. I was always easily influenced. I have been impressionable and always trusting. Yeah, see, trust no one. This, uh, Mm -hmm. God, stop trusting people. Goldine, no. Goldine, Um, Goldine. (laughs) I love the name Goldine, Which also is for sure a Pokemon. Mm. (laughs) I'm like 99% sure Goldine is a Pokemon. Like a little fish Pokemon. Like a goldfish. Goldine Han. Gotta catch them all. And then, and this is the most surprising part. Joan broke up with Goldine. No. The fuck? And we will get to it. But yeah, she got her to murder someone for her. And then dumped her. Yep. What a bitch. Okay, I don't feel that bad about my relationship history anymore. I'm feeling pretty good about it, to be honest. Yeah, big, big swing in the polls. Um... So it was Joan who gave Goldine cash to buy the murder weapon, a 38 Smith & Wesson revolver, as well as bullets. She'd only bought two. Joan picked out the trick-or-treater costume that Goldine would wear. Quote, Halloween night, Rabel decided a time when a person running around the streets in a disguise would not raise an eyebrow was the I mean, perfect time. She ain't wrong. Yeah. Actually, because I feel like if someone rang the doorbell at 11 p.m. on any other night. Oh, I'd never answer that. Right. Well, we're millennials, so we don't answer the door, period, unless it's food. Text first. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like on any other night, Peter would have been like, no, what's this now? And like been a little more on guard. Sure. Yeah, maybe. Um, I like your Peter impression, by the way. (laughs) What's this now? What's this now? These Utes running around the neighborhood. (laughs) He was also 35 years old, but it was a very different time. (laughs) Everyone sounded like Nixon. Yeah. Yeah. 35 in the late 50s is like 65 today. 55 minimum today. Oh, yeah. Right. 65. Yeah. Yeah. Joan also drove Goldine by the house on Community Street so that she could actually recognize her target who, again, she'd never met. So she literally had to, like, point him out to Goldine. Wow. Now make sure you shoot this one now. Perhaps Joan's biggest coup, which still didn't work, but at least she tried, was um, borrowing a friend's car in order to establish an alibi of her own uh, on the night in question. So she 
kept her own car parked in her driveway all night long so that like neighbors would say like, I don't know, I saw her car in the driveway. She She was home. Right. But she really, she had borrowed a friend's car ostensibly to buy groceries. But then the friend discovered that 37 miles had been put on the vehicle that night, which she revealed yeah, to police. Yeah, We all know we're all within walking distance of a grocery mm-hmm. store. Yeah, they live in downtown Los Angeles or like yeah. suburban Los Angeles. They're not, you don't need to go 37 miles to get groceries. On the night in question, Joan and Goldine arrived to the Fabiano home around 9 p.m. and staked out the place for the next two hours, but there were still, like, trick-or-treaters and shit, so they had to, like, wait. Finally, once the couple turned out the lights, Joan knew that the moment was right, and she pushed Goldine to go for it. And I I at first thought it was, like, a little weird or off that... Goldine had the gun in a paper bag, but um, I re- then I realized that the bag was part of her disguise as a trick-or-treater. Oh, mm. right. To, like, collect to candy. candy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the two women went to a remote—so Goldine commits the murder. The two women went to a remote area and burned the clothes that Goldine had been wearing, but they completely forgot to dispose of the murder weapon. Hmm. Dumb. Rookie mistake. Then, once they'd returned Joan's friend's car, they parted on foot, but not before Joan fucking dumped Goldine. Wait, the, the night woman, of? The night of? The no. night of? What a bitch. <laughs> oh, my God. Worst date ever. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. Yep. Joan said to Goldine, quote, thank you. Forget you ever knew me. No. That is eerily similar to when one of my high school boyfriends dumped me the day, the Monday after prom because yep. I didn't have sex with him on prom night. Yeah. That was like yep. his give stated reason. <laughs> what a fucking douchebag. Yeah, yeah. That was the night that I came back from France. Yeah. Prom night. First of all, would have been losing my virginity that night. Ain't going to happen with that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, Kenyon moved back from France to tend to her dying grandmother that night. Yep. So I opted to go to your house instead of the after prom party. And he dumped me. Yep. I never met him. You yeah. dated him for you didn't like miss a anything. year. No, I dated him for like... Mm, it was only like three or four months, but in high school, that's like a significant time. The four months time. when we were popular. Yeah, we, Amanda and I were popular for like four months. I dated his friend for a, over a year. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. Okay. Well, at least neither of you, as far as I know, have gotten dumped immediately after committing a murder for your No, nope, not yet. But my life is that horrible, so it could happen. <laughs> I did get dumped days after my dad died, so... That's right. This yeah. isn't that far off. <laughs> we dated because, a bunch of fuckfaces. Because you were being selfish, wasn't it? Uh, You're yeah, being I was just a little too needy. He didn't need to hear my <laughs> voice every day. And it oh, was I'm like sorry. Christmas time, too. Christmas Eve, he broke up with me over the phone five days after my dad died. <laughs> <laughs> so, Goldine, I feel you, girl. I feel you. <sighs> Oh my god. Oh. Men are trash. Across, uh, and women, apparently. Joan. 
Um, Okay, so Joan was brought in for questioning due to Betty's suspicions, but she maintained her innocence, even pointing out the alibi she'd so carefully orchestrated, her car being in the driveway all night. So she literally was like, she like pushed it a little too hard and was like, ask my neighbors. My car was in the driveway. And then the police were like, I will ask your neighbors. And then one of them was like, yeah, she borrowed my car and she put a lot of miles on it. Don't borrow (laughs) a friend. I can't. I can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. so stupid. So many holes in this. Okay, continue. Yeah. Still, police were intrigued when Joan claimed that the Fabianos were, quote, two of her closest friends. And this didn't seem to jive with Betty's account of the situation, mm-hmm. which Betty didn't say, like, we were lovers, but she did say, like, we'd been very close, and then my husband forbade me having any friendship with her. Because of our... Scissoring. <laughs> Correct. And amongst other things. He forbade me from scissoring her timbers. Um, still, with no concrete evidence against Joan, the police had to release her. Meanwhile, poor Goldine, just fucking probably a little bit stunned, was left to her own devices and kind of scrambling. She decides to hide the gun in a downtown L.A. department store no, rented honey. locker. Oh, honey, my no. God. No, 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 no. Which, in my notes, I wrote, lol, why throw that shit in a lake for fuck's sake? Yeah. Yeah. Preferably one with a muddy bottom. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> hashtag tips and tricks. I cleaned a muddy <laughs> bottom today. <laughs> Okay. Oh my god. Not my own. Also not romantic. She's babysitting. No, I babysitting. <laughs> I don't think cleaning the muddy bottom of anything could ever be misconstrued as romantic. Not with that attitude, yeah. it couldn't. Oh, wow. uh, scat play. I'm the scat man. Do it in all right, the gun, which ballistics would conclusively link to Peter's murder, was discovered in the department store locker. Good and God. And I've read that this was a result of an anonymous tip to the police. So I'm, I, we don't know who called that in. Maybe they called it in themselves. Goldie Maybe might she have called, called it in herself. herself. Yeah, because she was starting yeah. to feel Yeah, I'd be bad. fucking um, pissed. Yeah. So the gun uh, was not registered, but its sale was traced back to Goldine. Mm. Bitch probably wrote a check with her address on it. (laughs) Probably. Um, Goldine was brought in for questioning and tearfully confessed almost immediately. She also backed up the investigator's suspicions about Joan, saying that she'd been under the woman's spell. Mm. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Joan was arrested on November 16th, just two and a half weeks after what she'd believed was the perfect murder. Not so much. Mm. There has been some, like, conspiracy theory-level speculation that Betty may have played a role in the murder, but this is probably completely unfounded, and that yeah. it's more likely that she did just decide to go back to her husband, and then Joan, like, flipped. Um yeah, societal pressure to be like straight and married. Fuck. Yeah, yeah in yeah. the late 50s. Yeah. Yeah, and she had two kids. Yeah. So I think she was under a lot of pressure to go back to her husband and also I don't know, we don't know. Their marriage was rocky for a while, but maybe it wasn't 
bad. We don't know. Having a rocky marriage is not automatically like grounds for a, a motive for murder. Yeah. And we also don't know Betty's sexuality conclusively. She could have been completely bisexual. We don't know. Right. And if just not having a great relationship with your significant other or someone that you love is enough motive, I would have killed so many of my friends and lovers by now. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of couples, you know, like heterosexual couples, they might have different sexual preferences than each other. That doesn't mean they can't live as like lifelong partners. Totally. True. Yeah. So I kind of dismiss the Betty was in on it stuff because there's really no evidence to suggest that. And like, it's not like she visited Joan in prison or anything. Like there's nothing to suggest that. Yeah. At trial, which began in 1958, both Joan and Goldine pled innocent to the charges of first degree murder. Mm. Uh, the latter by reason of insanity. So Goldine was like, I don't, I don't fucking know what was happening. I'm a hysterical woman in the 50s. <laughs> Um, Goldine was emotional, visibly weeping on the witness stand. Meanwhile, it's purported that Joan, mastermind of the whole plot, quote, smiled as she was led out of court. Okay, I'm kind of here for that. Like, this is really sad, but that real creepy, juicy detail into it. Mm -hmm. Could have also just been like misogynist reporters at the time. Absolutely. Also very true. Very possible. Eventually, though, both made plea deals uh, confessing to second-degree murder, which carried the, uh, the sentence of five years to life in prison, which is That's like— a big gap. <laughs> it's a really broad window. I agree. I, I mean, I don't know. We're just going to throw a dart at a calendar that goes for a lifetime and just see where it falls, I guess. Yeah. I guess if you're Five super years. duper old. <laughs> but I don't think they were super duper old. I'm just saying, they were in, their in general. They were in 40s. Yeah. Yeah. In general. They were 40 and 42, yeah. So even at the time, the sentencing was criticized in the press as, quote, an example of women being treated softly in the courtroom, which, like, is kind of hard to argue. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a roll of the die whether or not... Right. Like, women are definitely going to be discriminated against in the courtroom, but whether or not that's, like, being treated on justly softly or being treated unjustly harshly made an example like, of yeah you believed. like don't know i think that i th i think that statistically on average women's sentences are a lot higher than men's and especially yeah, women of color for like yeah oh yeah but it, like for self-defense or for you know like murder in instances of like domestic violence and intimate partner violence women's sentences are way 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 higher mm-hmm yeah, so I don't know. But it does kind of seem like nobody wanted to... I think California still had the death penalty at this point, so nobody wanted to put these two women in the electric chair. It definitely did, and that comes up in my case. Ooh. Okay. So, Goldine was released from prison at some point before 1971. I probably could have found an exact date, but I didn't. She was released from her Pokeball. There's... <laughs> <laughs> Such a nerd. Um, we don't really know what became of Joan if or when she was ever let out. Um, the widow, Betty, lived a long life. Not as long as Amanda's grandma. That's for damn sure. But, no one um, wants to live that long. <laughs> she passed away in her 80s in 1999. Good for her. 
And that is what is known as the trick-or-treat murder, or as one of the sources I used called it, the Halloween love rectangle. Oh, yeah. Rectangle. <laughs> love a good love rectangle. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got myself wrecked is... by a love rectangle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that is my case. That's what I call my vibrator, my love rectangle. Okay. Good job, Kevin. <laughs> if your vibrator is shaped like a rectangle, you're welcome. <laughs> Uh, Y'all, third time's the charm. I finally got a vibrator that I like. Is it the size of your arm? (laughs) No. Does it fit in a bread box? Does it take batteries? Or does it have to be hooked up to an oil, like, (laughs) machine? (laughs) All you have to do is, like, pump your legs. You're kidding. What? (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. Good God. It charges kinetically. Believed. Given your track record, of course we're going to believe you. Of course we are. I was going by customer reviews, and then they show up, and it was like, what the fuck have I done? My lord. Oh my god. Okay. Good job on your case. Thank you. Thank you. Hear a word from our sponsors, which are not vibrator companies. Y'all, I cannot imagine having to go even one day with my phone out of commission. Like, we literally run our business 90% from our phones. It's bad enough when you sleep at night. I can't. (laughs) I can't. So the idea of the phone falling from my hands that are almost always covered in, like, movie theater popcorn butter for some reason (laughs) and breaking is a terrifying waking nightmare Mm -hmm. and looking at all those hardcore protective cases out there it it feels like in order to keep your phone safe you have to sacrifice style and also like size i hate how friggin' thick those things are they're bulky and they're ugly and i hate them and i hate they're tacky and i hate you (laughs) but not with phone cases from case defy y'all you have seen me go crazy for my adorable phone case with the cute little drawings of boobs all over it from Caseify. Caseify lets you have the best of both worlds. Literally military grade drop protection and a stylish phone case that you'll actually want to show off. I get comments on this all the time. Mostly compliments. Sometimes people are like, why are there boobs on your phone? And I'm like, why are you talking to me? I'm on the bus. I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's no need for a bulky case that turns your phone into an ugly brick preach. Caseify cases are as sleek and chic as your actual phone. They have thousands of designs to choose from. Take it away, Lucy. I love your phone case. Please talk about it. Yeah, I had quite the adventure looking at their website at these designs. Caseify has done awesome collaborations with artists and designers. They've got collections with everyone from Sarah Jessica Parker, <laughs> Queen, to yeah. Pokemon, Amanda. Hello. <laughs> to the Rolling Stones. <laughs> the list it. goes on. And there are some like super creative, super fun designs. Uh, if you follow us on Instagram, you probably saw my case. It's yeah. got like colored sand in it. It moves when you like tilt the phone. I'm looking at it right now. And it glows in the dark. Hello. And you customized it. I customized it with my nickname Dust. Yeah. So that A, no one would ever lose it and B, no one would ever want to steal it. Right. Because it's got my name on it. Hello. Mm-hmm. 
There's also the best collaboration ever, yours. Yeah. You secret artist, you. You can create custom cases with your favorite colors and text. And of course, they really do protect your phone. This is not a joke. This is not a drill. I literally had one of my best friends and her one-year-old living with me for a month. And (laughs) one-year-olds love to grab and throw phones. Yeah. Thank God for my Caseify case. Not a scratch on her. Yeah, they're the real deal. Caseify mm-hmm. cases will keep your phone safe through drops of more than six feet. I'm not yeah. even that tall. I'd have no. to try to drop it that far. I'd have to climb, and we all know I cannot. There will be no climbing, so your None. phone is extra safe. And mm-hmm. if celebrities like Kyle, Kylie Jenner, Kyle Jenner, and Gigi Hadid are obsessed, you know that this is a phone case that you can show off on your Insta feed, as Joy. I did. It's... Incredible. They're gorgeous. So mm. go to casetify.com slash wine crime today to get 20% off your new favorite phone case. That's casetify.com slash wine crime for 20% off your Casetify purchase. Treat your phone, treat your life. Mm, treat it. All right. So my case, it's dark. So buckle the fuck up. I went for All it. All right. Um, also, it doesn't technically take place on Halloween, but since it takes place over the course of many years, many Halloweens were celebrated during this time. <laughs> oh my that God. Is, that is your connection? Well, no, we'll get to my connection, but it, it's not <laughs> okay. like a this happened on Halloween kind of connection. It's like a, okay. this person is a specific type of monster that's popular during Halloween type of connection. Okay, okay. Spider-Man. Exactly. Spitterman and Associates. Um, No, just kidding. I want to start a law firm called Spitterman and Associates. Anyway, (laughs) Halloween is a time for monsters, but sometimes monsters are actually more of a comfort because monsters have rules. Monsters come from somewhere mythical and then they go away at the end of the story. But when the monster Mm -hmm. is human, there's really nowhere to hide from the way that it makes you feel, which in this case is sick. You're going to love it. (laughs) This is one of those stories that once you've heard it, you can't unhear it. So listener discretion, super extra advised. Is this Monster Housing by proxy? Pretty much. (laughs) And for those of you with an iron constitution or a ghoulish curiosity who are still with us, happy Halloween! (laughs) In the spirit of the season, I give you a story that at the end of the day is all about blood and a very strong and sincere belief that Jesus Christ was a vampire. Absolutely. Oh. Popular Halloween very costume. strong and sincere belief. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to argue, to be honest. Okay. Blood of Christ. Okay. But anyway, this guy's a monster. <laughs> so Marcus Wesson is a man of evil that reaches a level that feels almost mythologic. So perhaps it's not surpri- surprising that he's had a number of grandiose nicknames applied to him, including the Vampire King of Fresno. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can't help but feel that this mythologizing of murderers is like unhelpful, but it's hard to deny that Marcus Wesson displayed similar traits to that of the mythical vampire. He could hold a powerful sway over others, especially those of the opposite sex. And he is completely ruthless, vain and cruel. Once you, and once you invite him in, it's already too fucking late. You're done. And he's allergic to garlic. He hates garlic. His name was Don. Mm-hmm. Well, close. <laughs> Marcus Dellen Wesson oh. was born into the Seventh-day Adventist Church, first mistake, a Christian denomination that focuses heavily on the imminent second coming of Jesus and the impending end of the world. 
Mm, relaxing. Ter- yeah, so relaxing. <laughs> Terrified Chill. by the end of the world every week in church, Mark internalized these feelings of doom even as they mirrored the external horrors of his childhood. His mother was a fanatic who terrorized him emotionally, and his father was an abusive alcoholic that battered him physically until eventually abandoning, abandoning the family altogether. Because, like, why men great till they gotta be great? The perfect recipe for yeah. an upbringing. Yeah. Um, of a vampire. Of a vampire. His mother moved the family to San Bernardino, California in 1960. It was the 60s. Uh, woo! Favorite. Officially the 60s. It's, we're we got finally there. in it. Out of high school, Wesson signed up with the army and found himself deployed in Europe. And perhaps this is where he contracted vampiric notions. Mm-hmm. Who does Transylvania? Deployed to Transylvania. <laughs> he returned and soon after met and became involved with a married woman named Rosemary Solorio, and Mark seemed to develop a deep emotional hold over her. It wasn't long before Was she- Rosemary his baby? Oh. <gasps> his lover. Uh, It wasn't long before she ended her relationship with her husband and invited Mark into her home. No, Uh no, no. Marcus moved in with Rosemary and her daughters in San Jose, California. In 1971, Rosemary gave birth to Wesson's first son. And by this time, Wesson was already grooming and digging his hooks into one of Rosemary's own daughters from her previous marriage. One of Rosemary's babies. Babies, yep. He informed her that God spoke to him. God Mm. whispered secrets in his ear, he said. And what God had told him is that God had chosen her to be his bride. Wow. The daughter. Somehow God is always interested in getting his prophet. A child bride. Yeah. (laughs) So a few years later, at, at the age of eight years old, no. no. Rosemary's daughter, Elizabeth Solario, was married to Marcus Wesson, at the time 27 years old, in a home ceremony. Fucking obviously. The mother, the mother let this happen? Yes. She was eight? Yep, the daughter was eight. I, Pretty I, you sure know, Madeline is eight in this vampire picture. I know. Dear God. It's super Ick. fucked up. There was a lot of abuse happening, including to Rosemary, so I don't want to, like shit all over her obviously it's it makes sense to question like how could you let this happen but I'll, well i mean it's number one his fault right exactly but it's just i was not expecting eight i was I expecting know. 15 even. yeah yeah teenager yeah but don't worry Which would have been awful as well but well when elizabeth was 15 marcus wesson married her legally and within four months she had given birth to their first child Okay. That's a quick gestational period, my friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So over its span, their quote, marriage, and I we put in parentheses heavy quotations. Yeah. Because fuck this. It's not we're not calling Dripping this a marriage. With fuck this guy. Yeah. Their marriage produced ten children. One of which Holy tragically shit. died as an infant. Oh, my God. This poor, poor girl. Yep. Oh, my God. So in the 80s, one of Elizabeth's sisters, so the child bride, who had also grown up in the same house as Marcus, abandoned her own seven children to Wesson and Elizabeth, stating that she could not care for them. Mark, they had 17 children? Yeah. 
So Marcus, Elizabeth, and at that time, over a dozen children had no permanent address. Marcus did not hold a steady job and lived off welfare, more specifically by illegally defrauding the welfare system, which is not good. And the family lived in a series of dilapidated homes, houses, abandoned boats on the street. They just essentially like hovered on the fringes of society, kind of hiding in plain sight. And they were a poor Ugh. family of color, so nobody really wanted to pay attention to them. Oh, my oh, God. And they had basically a large daycare yep. following them. Mm-hmm. So Marcus oh ruled his family through complete emotional domination, religious brainwashing, and physical abuse. Elizabeth was kept largely separate from the children and was not allowed to participate in raising her children. Literally every... What? Yeah. He, like, quarantined her. <gasps> so not only did he sleep with his lover's daughter, married her, then separated her from the children that of his that she bore entirely. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So, like, every moment of the kids' lives had to be approved and, and passed through Marcus Wesson. Him. Yep. He taught the okay. children from the pages of his own handwritten Bible titled, quote, In the Light of the Light for the Dark. Why? Which is the worst title of a text I have ever heard in my fucking life. Like, do better. Pretty on par for a handwritten Bible, though. Yeah, it's bad. And uh, where, where's Rosemary again? She's still in the house. He controls everybody. Wow. Well, there is no house. So he, yeah. Well, he basically in has the family. like a little cult yes. going. Correct. Oh, God. Um, oh, okay. The first and most prominent teaching <clears throat> of this horseshit Bible was that God was literally made manifest in Marcus Wesson himself. Quote, if you've seen God, you've seen me. One of his sons, Adrian Wesson, recounted, he was God. That's just the way it was. So ruling with an iron fist and breaking down his children and apparently, like, this is the first step to becoming God. Yep. So, Serafino Wesson, known as Fino, once snuck a spoonful of peanut butter, this is like one of his kids, and received a beating with a cable wire that lasted for almost 20 minutes straight for sneaking a spoonful of peanut butter. (sighs) Yeah. Which, like... If this shit is making you sick, go watch Surviving R. Kelly. Like, people do not take this shit seriously, and it's fucked up. If you can imagine the abuse, it happens. Mm -hmm. The family... even abuse you couldn't imagine. Oh, it Mm -hmm. happens. Yeah, I mean, as, as I was thinking about, or like, going through this case, and thinking like, is this the darkest one we've ever covered? It might be the darkest one that I've covered, but then like... Kenyon covered that woman who like kept a child in a cage of like eight pieces of its flesh. Yeah. Yeah. We've covered really dark. I mean, it's hard. You can't make a, you, I firmly believe that you cannot make a hierarchy of violence you and like what these people it just I- exists. endured. Yeah. Is, is equally as horrific as what other abuse survivors Absolutely. have endured in different ways. And yeah. that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, if you imagine that this is the darkest thing ever, like there's always going to be some be darkness. Like it just, that's just the world that we live and in light and light and light and light of the darkness and light. <laughs> um, so right. the family cool. lived in fear of the worst of his punishment, uh, that they called 30 day quote, a 30 day punishment involved. Well, 
21 hits on your person. And then that's one in the morning and then one in the afternoon and one before you went to bed, said Serafino Wesson, who was 25 when giving this statement. Now imagine getting that for 30 days straight, they said. Okay. Yep. So 63 hits per day for 30 for days. Yeah. Oh, God. The Bible studies and prayer sessions would last hours and hours at a time and having no frame of reference, no outside information and living in utter terror, the children could only accept what they were told. They were homeschooled. They had no access to like, they were not social with anyone. They didn't know anything except what this man taught them. Yeah. Yeah. Marcus Wesson warned his children that the devil was very real and that he wore a blue uniform with a shiny badge on his chest. Oh. And to prepare for the day, he would come for them. And to prepare for the day, he would come for them because that would be the end. Which, like, no. to be fair, oh. he's scaring them against the, the police so that they won't run right. to get help. But also, like, to be fair, this is a black family and that isn't all that far from the fucking truth. I hate to say it. Well, you take the chances at that point if, yeah. if this is your father. Right. When you're under this kind of abuse. It's clearly abusive indoctrination in this context, but yeah, you're right. He he is he's intentionally scaring his children from approaching someone in a position to actually help them. Yes. <gasps> yeah. That is so evil. How oh fucked my up. God. Yeah, that's bad. And Marcus began to slip further and further into his own self-aggrandizing delusions as time went on and his Bible filled with stranger and stranger ideas. So it wasn't like complete when he was teaching from it. He was like, it's a journal essentially. Yeah, it's a stream of consciousness yeah. for this dude. Oh God. And the general tenets of his homemade religion are as follows. If Jesus was immortal, there must be a reason for it. Jesus was entombed for days after his death and rose from the grave. And if these things are true, it stood to reason that Jesus Christ was a vampire. Wow. And like this part of Mark Wesson's religious doctrine is actually pretty spot on and super hard to argue with. The only other rival theory I've heard is like the zombie Jesus. Which is basically the same thing. It's basically the same thing, except brains instead of blood. Um, but okay. Wesley's yeah, Bibles, Je Jesus would be drinking other people's blood instead of the other way around. Right. Exactly. But he's a zombie. I'm, yeah. I'm on the zombie train. Zombie train. <laughs> Rock me zombie Jesus. <laughs> um, quote, drinking blood is the key to immortality. So this is what it says in Wesson's Bible mm -hmm. that Jesus was an undead creature. We certainly cannot dispute. Okay. So just don't come for me. Don't at me. However, Marcus's narcissistic obsession with himself led him to believe that he was the literal descendant of Jesus, meaning that he had Jesus's blood in his veins, meaning that he himself was divine and like a vampire mm -hmm. now believing his blood to be a font of divinity. It only stood to reason that his children had also inherited this blood and that it was his duty to keep it pure. Oh, yes, yeah, so definitely beat your tiny Jesus's mm -hmm. for stealing peanut butter. Yeah. I don't want to know what his version of keeping their blood pure even is. I think, you know, exactly what that version of is. <sighs> Gross. Quote, God's people are becoming extinct. We need to preserve God's children. We need to have more children for the Lord. Mm-hmm. No. Yep. You don't. So Wesson staged marriage ceremonies with two of his own daughters, Kiani and Sabrina Wesson, and three of his nieces who had been left behind with him years ago, Ruby Ortiz, Rosa, and Safina Solario. All of these children bore his children. 
Ugh. Uh, yep. Okay. Quote, I didn't know anything else, and I thought it was all right, said Keanu Wesson at age 33. This poor woman. When asked why her mother didn't stop the abuse, Kiani said her mother was just as deeply brainwashed as the rest of them. Quote, she'd been with my dad since she was eight years old, said Kiani Wesson. So I felt that she was pretty much, you know, caught up in the same thing, which is so true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The children were trained to refer to him as master or lord. Talk about the fucking cycle of abuse. I know. Ugh. The sons of the Wesson clan were raised apart, and while they were subjected to physical abuse, they were apparently shocked and disbelieving when they later learned of the sexual abuse going on within the family because they were not sexually abused. Mm-hmm. They were afraid of him, but they had no idea the extent of like the depravity of the situation. And as they grew older, the children were allowed to take jobs in town because the family had to survive. They needed money. Yeah. Yeah. So the children would march to work in the morning and willingly come home in the evenings, uh, turning over every penny that they had earned to Marcus. And as would be expected, as they grew older, his control of them began to fade. And a couple of them did run away, but only a few, like two, maybe three mm-hmm. of this like brood of now well over 20 of like his children, his child brides and all of their kids. Mm-hmm. Dang. Um, fear obviously kept a very tight grip that most of the family could not break free of. Um, it's believed that over the course of his family rule, Wesson fathered 18 children with seven women, five of which were his own daughters. Uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's disgusting. It's horrific. So maybe it was that I've, I had heard of, um, the Wesson vampire. The vampire of, of Fresno. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I did not know any of the details, turns out. Neither did I. I didn't look into this case. And actually, a listener in a different email correspondence that we were having was like, oh, you should look into this. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm doing it. So I did. Mm-hmm. And I like equal parts regret it. Mm-hmm. And also am glad to to have the information about this case that is like oddly famous without being that famous, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting yeah. to me because like I I don't I don't understand what it is that makes a case famous or not. Like I understand that gender and race play a big role in right. how much exposure and you know, conversation these cases get in the media. Mm-hmm. And this is a poor black family. So like we're systemically trained to be like, well, who gives a fuck about a poor black family? Mm-hmm. But I tell you right fucking now, if this had been like a white man who was raping his daughters and like starting a crazy fucking cult mm-hmm. in his home, the entire world would know about It'd it. It'd be Charlie Manson level shit. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. case is huge and this went on for decades. And nobody stepped in. Yeah. So maybe it was that some of them had escaped. Maybe it was that he was growing older and more frail, or maybe he could just feel it in the air. But Marcus may have known that his time was limited. And sure enough, Armageddon was just around the corner, he kept telling his family. Mm, I'm sure God told him. Yeah. Yeah. So he bought a dozen antique caskets for him and his and his children, convincing the buyer that he simply intended to use the wood. Like he clearly bought them from like, I want to say secondhand, but it's like clearly not secondhand because (laughs) it's a casket. (laughs) Um, Surplus. Yeah, probably. They had a death shortage that year. Mm -hmm. 
In actuality, he and his children, who he believed, again, to be descendants of the vampiric blood of Jesus, would sleep in the caskets. Oh, God. And he only bought Just a dozen. Just like us on our picnic tables in elementary school. Exactly. 100%. But he only bought a dozen, and he has over 18 kids. 18 kids. Like, he's cramming. Well, some of them had to share. Yeah. So fucked up. Oh. So, on March 12th, 2004... Again, this started in like the eighties. The sixties. Well, he he. God, he's from I, the sixties, but mm-hmm. I didn't realize till just now, like the like concept time of time, line. passage yeah. of time. Yeah. <laughs> oh my right. god, it's fucking two thousand four already. Oh god, it's two. It's he has like two generations of yeah people, of he people that he's created. Yeah. His children and the children, the grandchildren he fathered that are also technically his... I can't even wrap my head around it. I can't wrap Mm -hmm. my head around it. I don't want to. So in March March 12th, 2004, Wes and his challenge for the first time in decades. The two nieces who had escaped his control years earlier returned to the family compound demanding that he release their children. And when Marcus Wesson barred their entry to the home, they called the police. Good for them. Fresno police received what appeared to be a routine domestic disturbance call. The two nieces claimed that their uncle was not allowing access to children in the home on 761 West Hammond Avenue. The police arrived in a placid manner with no idea what awaited them. They had no way of knowing that the children were the product of decades-long incest and deranged vamp- and a, like a deranged vampiric madman. Like, can you even imagine? That would be a lot mm. to explain over a nine one one call, right? And they really just wanted to get the yeah. cops there. So, like, right. obviously, cops had no fucking clue what they were about to walk into. Right. Um, there is like nine one one audio that captured the voices of two women screaming at Wesson to return their children. So, presumably, the nieces. Um, Wesson handled the police with the same eerie charisma that he had used to imprison a generation, well, more than one generation of his family. No. He said that he, he said that he wasn't going to let the women run off with the children, uh, quote, under kidnapping conditions, but assured them calmly that he would cooperate and bring the kids out of the house. No one but Marcus Wesson really knows exactly what happened next. But when Marcus Wesson appeared again at the front door of the house, he did not have the children with him. Uh, He slowly walked out of the house and submitted to arrest. And the house was surrounded by police and neighbors had also like gathered around to watch. Oh, no. Yeah. Everyone gathered was horrified to see that Marcus Wesson was covered head to toe in blood. Oh, no. So while oh, while those gathering, this is gathering, so much worse than I even knew. I know it's so bad. It's so fucking bad. Okay, last night I watched Midsummer. I know, and now tonight I'm gonna have another round of nightmares. I'm sorry. <sighs> it's almost done, but it, this is the worst part. So yeah, I'm just gonna up. watch the. I'm gonna watch eight hours of The Office to cleanse my palate. Good idea. I actually don't honestly. And I, I, this isn't the worst part, to be honest. Like. Yeah, but well, I mean, because it's all so terrible. Like it's just it's all it's all crap. Like Kenyon said, you can't you can't say you can't assign like value or level of violence. Like it's all so fucking violent. It all falls in the same vile category. Yeah, it's just instances of like acute violence as opposed to generations of indoctrination. Just you know, it's like it's just a different vibe. Mm-hmm. So while those gathered outside were waiting for him to emerge, hoping for a peaceful resolution, Marcus Wesson had shot each of the children one by one through their eyes 
and left their bodies in a pile next to their antique coffins. So they were so indoctrinated and afraid that they just... They stood there in a row, essentially. While Gun like, shots? Yes. He shot each one one by one in the in the face through the eye. And the cops are standing outside? Oh, this is what blows my fucking mind. So the next part of this is that it says, the police state they never heard any gunshots, but others at the scene testified that they did hear a single shot and then a series of other shots emanate from the house during the standoff. So I know that witness testimony is like shaky, but how could police not have heard a single shot? I just don't believe it. Or like, and he didn't have a silencer? I don't think so. I didn't see anything that said that. Shit. Multiple shots. Yeah. A lot of shots. A lot of fucking kids. Yeah. Ugh, what the fuck? Two of Weston's daughters and seven of their children, all fathered by Weston, were found each dead of a gunshot wound to the eye in a back bedroom. Mm. I, it doesn't sound like every child was home when this happened, but like everyone who was home got killed. Um, so Sabrina April Wesson, 25, Elizabeth Brahe Kina Wesson, 17, Illabel Carey Wesson, 8, Aviv Dominique Wesson, 7, Jonathan St. Charles Wesson, 7, Sidonia Solario Wesson, 2 years old, Ugh. Marshy St. Christopher Wesson, 2 years old, Ethan St. Laurent Wesson, 4 years old, and Jiva St. Uh, I can't pronounce this, Vald Valdensbury it's like a it's a biblical name that I can't I can't pronounce, but uh, Wesson, uh, one year old, all killed that day. Oh my god! Oh my god! Their vampiric ascension obviously bore no fruit, though. Let's be honest, bringing his family immortality was never really his fucking goal. Ugh. And just like most family annihilators, total control and domination over others is the real name of the game. And these men would rather you were dead than free from them. Mm -hmm. Like the police were at his door. This was, it's like, well, they can't, they can't leave. So I'm going to kill all of them. Ugh. Tell me this guy. I mean, there's no justice at this point. Like nothing could possibly compare to what he has committed. But like, mm -hmm. tell me there's something. There's something. Um, so this is a long and horrifying nightmare, obviously, with a painfully fucking predictable ending. Uh, the confluence of narcissism, religious zealotry, and patriarchal control is a vicious recipe for disaster for everyone. And this is obviously just a horrific reminder that abuse comes in many forms and escaping it often feels impossible. And especially for, again, these this like poor family of color was just hiding in plain sight mm -hmm. for so long and no one thought to check. And it's really... Aren't there, aren't there like regulations about homeschooling? Like, isn't somebody checking and being like, all right, show me like what your kids have learned? And yeah, but if you're already part of a community that's underserved and you're not even like, uh, who even knows if these children were born in hospitals? Yeah, you don't, you don't have a permanent address. You've got nothing. Yeah. There's nobody yeah. looking out for people people in situations like this. Yeah, people already yeah, don't. Yeah, they probably didn't even necessarily have birth certificates. Ugh. That's the thing. It's like, it's possible that uh, people already don't care about poor people of color. Like, that is just a brutal truth. Right. And then right. for this to continue on, I, I highly doubt they were like, seeking health care even during pregnancy like there's there's no way well why would they? They're immortal. And exactly. their dad, husband, grandfather is God. Yeah. So 
And if you give birth at 14 and list your own father as the father of your child, right. like mm-hmm. that, that, that did, that it didn't happen. There's no way. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know for sure, but like it didn't happen. Yeah. It's they just, definitely were not having a doula. In yeah. A no, I have a feeling that this like 2004 encounter with the police was one of very few that they'd maybe ever had. Because they, he went through the welfare system. Like, he did receive assistance, but uh, I, I don't himself. think for himself, I don't think there was much on record because then his kids are going off to work. Right. So, like, I, I mean, I don't know. And it, it's just, there's a lot, there's a lot of things at play here that could keep this very secret. And that's mm-hmm. really fucked up. So, and the extent to which poverty can just be like a wicked, wicked trap yeah. is almost beyond i mean the three of us are extremely privileged we grew up in an extremely privileged environment it's it's kind of hard to imagine that for example no one was looking out for these young children mm-hmm. but that's right re- reality right yeah yeah um wesson's defense at trial was that his daughter sabrina had committed the murders and then killed herself to avoid the family being broken uh-huh oh, okay and it was complete bullshit and the jury didn't buy it either Because, like, funny how he's the only survivor walking out covered in blood. Like, fuck you. Yeah, odd. Yeah. When she had actually pulled the... Whether she had actually pulled the trigger at his direction or he... Because he did have a gunshot wound. Mm -hmm. But it was, like, some very non-lethal, like, a gunshot to the arm or something. And, like, the way that all... it was a fucking red herring. Yeah, and the way that all of the other members of the family had been shot in the same exact like methodical way. Mm-hmm. Like they, the, the way that they were shot was right through the eye. He wasn't like, no one was being like chased around the house. Like that was him. That was not anybody else. Yeah. It was an execution and it was utilitarian. Yes. It was, it was to serve a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. And he was the only one that had the control that could carry that out. Exactly. So the jury didn't buy it. Wesson was given the death penalty for nine counts of first degree murder and also found guilty on 14 counts of forcible rape and sexual molestation of seven of his daughters and nieces. Uh, But as we know, with the death penalty, often it takes a long time. And Marcus Wesson is now 73 and still sitting on death row. This was in 2004. So now, you know, 15 years later, He's still sitting in jail. It's unlikely that he'll ever be executed, especially because he's sitting in California. Oh. But whether the state of California or just time ends his life, I mean, I say we chain the coffin shut, put a fucking wooden stake through his heart just in case. Oh, my God. I can't yeah. believe this dude is still alive. Still and like, alive. Not that old and sitting in prison. Yep. Oh, I need to see photos of this fucking asshole. Uh, they will definitely be on the drive slash blog. I have yet to upload them, but they're there. They're going to be there. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that was really dark. You said you had a dark one this week, and I kind of cockily in my head was like, all right, she's never going to be as dark as me. Mm -hmm. But I was (laughs) wrong. You were wrong. You've been proven wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. All right. Special well. thanks. <laughs> wow. Um, Happy birthday, go, Jill. Go, go eat. Oh, God. I forgot it was Jill's ton. birthday. Oh, no. Go eat a fuck ton of candy and forget you ever knew me. Forget 
everything about this episode. <laughs> okay. I'm men and in black flashing your memory. Yeah. And thank you, Jill Gerzuski. Happy birthday. So <laughs> we're so sorry. Our condolences. <laughs> <laughs> oh no i'm the worst <laughs> okay oh. thank you also to abby van wagoner for your five dollars a month and abby would like to shout out her bff and gateway gal kara oh thank you also kara yeah thanks for getting kara on your van wagon wagoner hardly know jump it on that bandwagon okay whatever <laughs> Uh, thank you, Ginger Velaster. You increased your donation from $1 to $5 a month, and that helps to support us even Velaster, Ginger Velaster. <laughs> I don't know. I'm tired. Thank you, Rowan. Uh... Rowan. Rowan. Rowan on the river. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, thank you, Rowan. <laughs> oh, proud Mary. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Candy Nybert, for your five bucks a month. Halloween <laughs> candy. Yeah. Trucker candy Tree corn sucks. candy. Reese's peanut butter cups up. Get it. Mm-hmm. Cups up. Cups up. And thank you, Lex Beenix, Beatnix, Spinix, Binks. Yep. Thackeray Binks. <laughs> it all circles Binks. back to Halloween. The yes, Sanders I'm going to go watch Hocus Pocus. Thank you for your yes. uh, $5 a month. And thank you, Gemma Waters. Gemma Waters run deep. Thank you, Gemma. You're a gem, <laughs> Gemma. Oh, thank you, Rabab Alathati. Uh, Nailed it. I had a thoughty that your name... <laughs> might make me hungry for a kebab. Oh, yeah. And I've been proven right. So thank mm-hmm. you so Rab- much, Rabab. Rabab did write that their name rhymes with kebab. Truly. <laughs> and thank you, Steph Van Fleet, for your fleet of cash that's arriving every month. Thank you so mm. much for your $5 donation. You are on fleet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thank you, Katrina... You're a hurricane uh, of generosity. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about that movie, Katrina, Katrina? Karina, Karina. Ka- it damn it. That. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Katrina, Katrina. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> well, we're, we're trying over here, Katrina. <laughs> it's Katrina. It's Katrina. <laughs> it's Katrina. <laughs> Thank you, Morgan. No last name needed. Morgan, Cap- I feel it. Captain Morgan, Morgan over here feel. with their five bucks a month. <laughs> Getting ready to swill some down with some Coke. Nailed mm-hmm. it. Because it's fall. Yeah, I love it. Um, Thank you, Chelsea. No last name needed. Your... Uh, generosity goes as deep as the deepest Chelsea. <laughs> mm. Thank you, Shana Colbert, or possibly Shana Colbert. Mm. <laughs> um, will you keep us warm when we're feeling Colbert? Mm. <laughs> we're eagerly awaiting your rapport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Christina Schuler. Uh, I Schuller. won't be Schuler. 
I won't be shoeless without you with your donation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Helping us buy some Rothies. Thank you. Love uh, it. Lipstick for your feet. Mm. <laughs> lipstick for your feet. <laughs> Thank you, Amy Garner. Kicking off our $10 a month tier. You're going to be getting a fucking patriarchy wine glass in the mail. You will be garnering the power of the wine glass. <laughs> You are doing the opposite of garnishing our wages. Yeah. Okay, garnish your wine glass. Okay. Thank you to Kate Young. You keep us young, and we, Kate, thank you enough. Oh. Okay. Abigail Jones. Mother Jones over here with your <laughs> 10 bucks a month. Uh, thanks. Yep. Got it. <laughs> Thank you, tired. Christy Hensley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you case very, made me so sad that I just like can't think. Um, you are very precious to us, like an item at auction at Christie's. Perfect. Oh my God. God I'm so Got dead. There. Nailed we love it. You. I think you're also a Stephen King book, which probably would have been easier, but that's okay. And Sierra finally wants to shout out her boyfriend, quote, shout out to Tanner slash Tater Tot. (laughs) Nothing brings me more joy than listening about gruesome murders while we clean the house and go on long car rides. It's even better the second time around since I now get to share it with you. I love you, sweet potato. Good God, Sierra, you're too sweet. Sweet potato and tater tot. That's really fucking cute. I'm also fairly sure that I responded to Sierra's email with, you got it, sweet potato. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're also... You you gave us an inch, so we're going to go. Take a mile. Thank you also, Rona Hunt. Going to hunt you down and thank you in person for your $10 a month. With consent. (laughs) With consent. (laughs) And Mackenzie Hernandez increased their donation from $1 to $15 a month, and that makes you a trash queen or king or neither or neither or both. Uh, Hernandez or hardly no Hernandez. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Rebecca Winitsky who is kick or not kicking off, but is a trash queen or king or neither or both. And Rebecca, you... Make me want a whiskey, Rebecca Winitsky. You're a real winner-ski. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brianna Bias, with your 15 bucks a month, you trash queen or king or both or neither you. Mm. I'm pretty sure Brianna's sibling also donates. Mm. Yeah, we might be biased, they're, but they're we certainly biased. Mm-hmm. Thank you to Kinsey Swain for swaining yourself in the direction of giving us a donation at $15 a month. Enjoy your trash. Mm. And thank you, Taylor Grace. Mm, Nancy Grace. Uh, Nancy Grace. She's Taylor Taylor Grace. Grace. She's (laughs) Miss United States. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Stacey Walker. Holy Holy shit. You're not, you're running, not walking mm-hmm. with your $50 a month. Huh? That'll earn Woo! you a uh, 
wine glass and a tote bag and an episode and or case and or wine pick. Or all And probably of the one of our firstborn children. Probably. Yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. hurry on over, run, don't walk with that uh, case suggestion because we're mm. looking at early July at this point. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, same goes for you, Angela Renee Coleman. Fire up that Coleman grill and get your $50 a month coming in hot. It's Goldman. (laughs) It's pronounced Goldman. (laughs) Fire up that coal in a turnip lantern. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Linda Miller, for your once-off donation of $10. If you, like Linda or any of Amanda's exes, have a fear of commitment, you don't have to give monthly via Patreon. You can buy a once-off donation via our online store, wineandcrimepodcast.bigcartel.com, like Linda did. Linda, we love you. You're the light of our lights. Mm-hmm. Lives. <laughs> and lights and lights and darkness. Yes. That's been a long day. Hasn't it, Sarah Avila? with your $10 once-off donation? You are. I saw Goody Sarah with the Dia Vila. <laughs> <laughs> you are D amazing, Sarah Dia Vila. I hope you're related to Bob Vila. <laughs> Sarah Dia Vila of the Bob Dia Vilas. <laughs> Thank you, Emily Kolbinger. We're cobbling together this Kolblinger of a special thanks. <laughs> Thank you for your $25 once-off. That's a lot of mozzarella stick. Lots of matzo. Mm. And thank you, Kelly Field. 25 once-off. Kelly writes, uh, also hates dolphins. They're rapey yes. little bastards. You mm-hmm. darn tootin', Kelly yes. Field. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Happy Halloween. Go sew that last button on your kid's costume. Eat all of their candy and have a good night. We love you. And stay safe out there. Yeah. Yeah, Be safe and don't ring anyone's doorbell after 11 p.m. Or -hmm. just ever. Yeah. All right. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kali Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout-out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Hello, my pod people. We are Historical AF. I'm Natalie. And I'm Keena. We are a historian, a librarian, and the occasional surprise guest that delivered the funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Plus, once a month, we bring you an extra AF episode that is full of our stories and some articles featuring libraries and history in the news. Oh yeah, and we do all this while hitting the giggle water and gracing <laughs> the world with our foul mouths and weird... AF humor. 
So, if you like to laugh and love all things history, mythology, true crime, and paranormal, like you do, then we are the podcast for you. You can find us on your favorite podcasting platform, and to make it easy on you, we have the links available at historicalafpodcast.wordpress.com. And while you're there, check out the photos that accompany each episode, check out our sources, and learn more about us in our bios. All right, guys, we cannot wait for you to join us. Bye. Join in the fun. Bye.